This weekend, I am beginning a three-week series of messages on prayer. And today, we will focus on prayer for your family. Next weekend, the focus will be prayer for our church. And the weekend following, which will be the weekend before our national elections, prayer for the nation. So prayer for your family, prayer for our church, prayer for the nation. I hope that many of you have been receiving our 40 days of prayer. These are online reminders, and uh, I hope you've been able to participate three to five minutes a day leading up to the elections as we pray for our national leaders. This is a vitally important year for your family. This is a strategically important year for our church, and this is a critically important year for the nation. And as we begin this morning, I want to take you to a passage in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, as we put the accent mark over prayer for your family. We pick up on the action in verse 14 of chapter 9 of Mark. Jesus has just come down from a high mountain where He was transfigured. That is, He was elevated with Moses and Elijah, who had died generations before. He was transfigured, resplendent in the heavens, in front of the eyes of Peter James and John, and they had never seen anything like that before, and now they have come back down off the Mount of Transfiguration, and we pick up in verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a, la a large crowd gathered around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, He rebuked the evil spirit. You, deaf and dumb, 
of deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. As I studied this passage, it seemed to me that it broke into two. And in the first half, there in verses nine, uh, 14 to 19, it describes a difficult situation. And then the second half, verses 20 to 29, it details a divine solution. So we want to look at this difficult situation this morning, and we want to look at this divine solution this morning and make the relevant application to our lives. I want you to notice the component parts of this difficult situation. The first thing you've got here is divided leaders. In verses 14 to 16, the nine disciples that Jesus had left behind when He went up to the mountain got into a heated argument with some of the Jewish leaders, some of the teachers of the law, and a large crowd had gathered to watch and listen. But as soon as the crowd saw Jesus, it says, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to meet Him. Now, friends, there is a mini devotion that's buried here, and I want to dig it out and I want to hold it up before we go any further. In a religiously divided world, then and now, in which professed godly people argue and debate the inconsequential, they bicker and divide over the insignificant. I just want our church to be a fellowship of Christ followers that fix our eyes on Jesus, and we are overwhelmed with wonder, and we run to Him. We're already a church that has this ethic. I just want to be sure that we cherish it. I want to be sure that we perpetuate it for future generations here at Crossroads. Well, there's another thing that we see in this section of the text. Besides seeing divided leaders, we also see a desperate father and a demon-possessed son. Here's a dad who is absolutely desperate to get help for his boy. His son was possessed by an evil spirit that had robbed him of both his hearing and his speech. It caused him to have intermittent violent convulsions, not caused by a brain tumor, not caused by some kind of chemical imbalance. Rather, this young boy was demon-possessed. And when Jesus came to this earth after 400 years of spiritual drought called the intertestamental period, the period of time, 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this was a period of spiritual drought. God was silent. There was no prophetic voice. So when Jesus comes on the scene, He is often confronted with demon possession. And when this evil spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground. He rolled around. He foamed at the mouth. And the boy's father told Jesus he had been in this condition since childhood. This merciless 
demon had thrown his son into fire and into water to try to kill him. And so the father and the son had both suffered. The father had suffered emotionally as much as the son had suffered physically. In fact, I think it it can be harder to watch someone you love suffer than it is to actually experience the suffering yourself. Somehow, the devil had literally taken charge of this boy's body. And spiritually, I think he still tries to get hold of those who are young and impressionable. He's relentless in his schemes to capture young people and wreck their lives. And if you're a parent here this morning, just realize that Satan will try to get into the head and the heart of your child. Sins that used to be the sins of adults are now the sins of many youngsters. Youngsters who've grown up watching hedonistic commercials and playing violent video games. And they've read about the duplicity in the lives of those who should have been trustworthy authority figures. And they've seen the sexually charged shows and music videos. And some have imbibed alcohol and experimented with weed and recreational drugs. And they've been taught by society to cover up and lie and cheat. And because Satan tries early on to do our children harm, we parents had better start early to do them good. It is important to win our boys and girls to the Lord, to see faith birthed in their hearts at an early age. I was 10 years old when I came to Christ, and today's children know a lot more than I did when I was 10. We must not be passive about the value of teaching the Word of God to our children in our homes and in this church and parents. You cannot expect them to love church if you can take it or leave it. And if you consider half-time church attendance to be faithful, I predict your kids will leave the church just as soon as they get out from under your roof. And some, some won't wait that long. On the other hand, right here in front of you, right here in front of you, you have a church that wants to partner with you. A church that is Christ-centered, that is focused on Bible teaching. A church that has dynamic children's and middle school and high school ministries. This is a worshiping church that encourages the character development you want to see in your children in the days ahead. It's been so impressive for me to see the authentic faith, the dedicated lives, the healthy marriages, the successful families and careers of young people whose parents have been consistently all in at Crossroads through the years. Many of these parents have subscribed to our core values of celebration, faithful, private, and public worship, connection, some kind of interaction with small group, and contribution, giving, and serving. And if you want your children to escape the obscenity, the dishonesty, and the humanistic philosophy that hammers them day after day. Christ and the Bible have to get into their heads and into their hearts during their formative years. Last night after the service, I was right up here. One of our faithful ladies' grandmother was telling about her conversation 
with a grandson who told her that he was in favor of any presidential candidate that would provide more freedom. Freedom in the sense of abortion on demand, partial birth abortion. Freedom in the sense of validating same-sex marriage. It was stunning for her to hear that. Now, where did that 10-year-old boy get those kinds of ideas? I'm telling you, our kids are being hammered with it. And the only thing that will make a difference is what we do to disciple them in our homes and disciple them in the life of the church. I got to tell you, when I read this text here this morning, I am impressed that it's a father. It's a father who is advocating and interceding for his spiritually enslaved son. He is not willing to let the devil have his son. He's determined to see him saved, snatched from the talons of demon possession. Dads, fight on your knees for your kids. Pray for them. Pray with them beside their bed at night or early in the morning. Pray for them to live a life that honors God, because if they do, they will live a life that blesses them with righteousness and peace. I claimed my children for the Lord, each one of them in the delivery room when they were newborn infants and when they were toddlers in elementary school and middle school and high school and college students, and even now they're 38, 36, 32. I don't consider that my job is done. They're still standing in the need of prayer. And so are your kids. And you participated in the creation of a living, eternal soul when you brought your child into this world. Don't quit before you start. Don't quit in the middle of the task. Don't quit before you get to the finish line. And the finish line, well, that is the day of your expiration. Well, another component of this difficult situation is defeated disciples. Latter part of verse 18, verse 28. The boy's father had asked the disciples to drive out the evil spirit, but they weren't able. And later, the disciples would ask Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive it out? They were surprised too. They couldn't understand, especially since Jesus had given them authority over unclean spirits, and previously, they had been able to cast out demons. The words but they could not. Our sad epitaph for the disciples here. And unfortunately, there are words that could be written over many a church today. A desperately needy world and a powerless church in many places. That's where we are today. We've got a generation that is sinking deeper and deeper into evil, a generation that desperately needs Jesus, but the church in many places is biblically compromised. It is spiritually powerless. It is helpless in the face of the assaults of the world and the flesh and the devil, and people look to the church for answers, but in many places, like the disciples, they could not. The final component of this difficult situation is a distraught Lord. It's in verse 19. There's no way to miss it. Jesus is disappointed about the report that he received from the boy's father. 
And it's evident in his words. Jesus said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Friends, this is a rare glimpse into the limited patience of the Lord. He is omniscient, yes, that is all-knowing. He is omnipotent, yes, all-powerful. He's omnipresent, yes, he's always present, but he's not omnipatient. So why, so why did the disciples' power wane? Well, they were defeated, and consequently, the Lord was distraught because the disciples had not intentionally prayed. Now, there, there's no other way to interpret the words of Jesus in verse 29. When the disciples asked why they couldn't drive out the demon, Jesus responded, this kind can only come out by prayer. That's it. That's it. That's what was missing. Their reliance on God's power. And Jesus was genuinely disappointed by their prayerlessness. I wonder if you can take it in today that your prayer life and mine could actually hearten or dishearten the Lord. We've just, we've just got to understand that our good works will be powerless and superficial at best without sincere prayer. So we've seen the difficult situation. What about the divine solution? Well, there's a pivotal moment in the text. Did you catch it there in Mark's account? It's revealed in verse 19. Here's the pivotal moment. Here's how we move from difficult situations to divine solutions. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And that's when things began to change. The loud arguing ceased. The jeering stopped. Things became quiet as Jesus Christ took control of the situation. And I want us to see what he did because he'll do the same in response to our prayers for our family. The first thing he did was build up their faith. When Jesus said, bring him to me, he is telling us where the focus of faith needs to be. The focus of our faith is vitally important. And the focus of our faith should never be on any mortal man or woman. If it is, you're probably going to be disappointed. The focus of our faith is not on a church. It's not on a set of doctrines. It's not on a set of traditions. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. And the crowd's faith was refocused, and the Father's faith needed to be increased. And he said to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love Jesus' response to him. He teaches us here about the, the power of prayer in our family. Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible. For him who believes. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that he can help us, but only if we believe. Only if we exercise our faith in prayer. Here it is. The boundaries of God's help are never set by demonic power, but by the limitations of our own faith. 
and our lack of dependence on Him in prayer. He can help. He can help if we believe. And don't you love the Father's honesty here? He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I've prayed that prayer. Have you? The Father's request changes from help my boy to help me. Listen, moms and dads. If we want our children to be saved and blessed, it begins with us. Doesn't it? The question is not whether Jesus could do anything. He's the co-creator of the universe. He upholds all things by the word of His power. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He called the dead back to life. The problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with us. If you will believe, he said, all things are possible. So Jesus begins by building up their faith, and then he casts out their fear, and he'll do the same for us. The very powerful section of the text is Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, commanded him to come out of the boy and never enter him again. And then it says, the spirit shrieked and came out, and the boy looked like a corpse, and he very, might, very well might have been dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Powerful moment. I remember several years back trying to watch the TV-edited version of the movie The Exorcist. I, I had to turn it off. I know, I know you're going to think I'm a wimp. I tried to keep repeating, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But here's the thing. Even though I knew it was only pea soup and special effects when that little girl's head did 180 degrees, I knew it was only special effects when she levitated down the stairs with a demonic grin on her face. It creeped me out. It scared the bejeebers out of me. You know why? Because <laughs> I know that the reality of demon possession is so much worse than the Hollywood depiction and it was bad. And so when I read passages like this, that tell me that a demon shrieks and flees from the presence of Jesus. I have to tell you, that thrills me. The thought that greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. The thought that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in my mortal body. That encourages me, I have to tell you, that casts out all my fears. Well, finally, Jesus corrected their failure. In verses 29 and 30, the disciples didn't want to share their failure publicly, so they waited until they were back at the house, and privately they asked Jesus why they were unable to cast out the demon. And Jesus said, it requires prayer. And Matthew's account adds, and fasting. 
prayer and fasting, which means that the prayer should not just be a one-time petition. It is a protracted prayer effort. Do you have anything like that in your history? Do you have anything like that in your present? Something that you have had to pray about over a period of time. Sometimes we will give it a two-minute shot, but sometimes the issues are big, and it requires this prolonged period, this prayer and fasting. And the reason for the disciples' powerlessness was their prayerlessness. So what had happened with the disciples? Some kind of subtle shift maybe had taken place in the behavior of the disciples. They had kind of gotten used to doing this. They kind of became too dependent on themselves. They became too overconfident. I'm not sure what it was, but Jesus indicated they were neglecting prayer in this instance. And I submit to you that the reason for our powerlessness to bring health and wholeness to our families is often our prayerlessness. Because you see, the power source is just not in us. It's not within us. It comes from God. And the primary way to infuse your family with health and unity is the presence and the power of God released in prayer. Two quick takeaways this morning. These are just practical things. Two things I want you to take away today. First of all, if in our families there are issues and problems, the first lesson we must learn is that healing starts only when we name our problems openly and honestly. One day, the Father, in our text, decided that what mattered, what mattered most to Him was His Son. No more face-saving, no more hiding, no more denial. Getting His Son healed was what mattered most. He set everything else aside. His Son's spiritual welfare was the only thing that mattered to Him, and He told the truth to Jesus about it, and that's the kind of prayer that gets results. No cutting ourselves off from His help because we won't name our reality. No refusal to honestly confess the depth of our issues. No word games to make us feel better about ourselves. We just say it. My husband has an anger problem. My daughter does not tell the truth. My son is a bully. We need to name problems straight up, no denial, no looking the other way, no living with it silently and indefinitely. We say it. My wife is addicted to painkillers, confronting raw reality in confessional prayer. Confronting raw reality in confessional prayer. That's going to start the healing process in any family. Number two, takeaway. If in our families there are issues and problems, the second lesson we must learn is to take that family 
member to Jesus in prayer. And, and you know the Lord. He, he is not interested in assigning blame. He did not make the boy's father feel guilty for the kind of parent that he had been. He's mostly interested in removing the burden. He's mostly interested in relieving the suffering. He's mostly interested in taking away the pain. And Jesus will never make you feel worse about yourself if you come to Him voluntarily. It's a myth that operates out there that says, if you surrender to Jesus, then you're on the skids, you're on the way down. Just the opposite is true. You are on the ascent. You are on the way up. He'll never make you feel worse about yourself if you come to Him voluntarily or if you're brought to Him in intercessory prayer. I implore you today, never give up on your family. Never give up on your family. Your faith may be shaky. That's okay. Pray for that son. Pray for your son who's involved in illegal activities to support a drug habit. Jesus forgave the thief on the cross who promised him paradise. You pray for your daughter who's living with her boyfriend. Jesus lifted up the woman caught in the act of adultery and set her on a path of joy and purity. You pray for that father whose best friend is Jack Daniels and whose constant companion is Bud Weiser. Pray. Pray. Believing that one day he will be intoxicated with the Spirit of the living God. Pray for that mother who is controlling and manipulative that one day, one day, she will unselfishly speak the truth in love. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows your family's every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In your difficult situations can experience divine solutions.